And that was the one on which the family generally agreed. So it seems the greater evidence points to his being born in 1786. Again, not that that matters. But as we, as we look at the idea of trying to come to an agreement on uh, uh, almost anything in life, we see just simply from this idea of something as, as non-important as the date Alexander Campbell was born. It's, it comes to no surprise to anyone when we begin to talk about things of greater importance, how it can be a little difficult to come to terms and agreement on those things, such as the spiritual things of life that Alexander Campbell fought for, Thomas Campbell fought for, Bart W. Stone fought for. And uh, so it's, it's not surprising that those things become even a little more difficult. Now, is that because or due to the subject matter? I don't think so. I think it's due to people. People, uh, very few people want to be wrong. Most people want to be right. And we see a list of these people in something as insignificant as the year Alexander Campbell was born, uh, having a debate on how old the man was. Does it matter how old he was? doesn't matter at all because it's the substance of that which he spoke that matters. We don't know exactly the age of Christ. We think he was somewhere around 33 years old, a little older when he when he was uh, murdered on the cross. But does his age matter? <clears throat> doesn't matter at all. It's his actions. It's his doctrine. It's what he brought to earth for us. And so uh, it doesn't matter how old Alexander Campbell was, but I think that gives us a little insight into what we're up against when we go about <clears throat> speaking on things that someone has already said in mind they don't want to agree with. And that happens a lot when we uh, when we talk about things of a spiritual nature. Alright, <clears throat> let's turn our attention back uh, to uh, this Campbell movement. In 1786, in the small town of Ballymena, <clears throat> there lived a preacher in the Seceder Church. Okay? Now, the Seceder Church was a particular branch of the Irish Presbyterian Church. And the man of whom we are talking, his name is Thomas Campbell. Now, Thomas Campbell was married for less than a year uh, to a lady by the name of Jane Carnegie Campbell, and they had their first son, Alexander. Now, uh, Thomas James Archibald and Enos were the four sons of Archibald Campbell. That would have been Alexander Campbell's grandfather, Thomas Campbell's father. And of course, Thomas, named after, or uh, uh, Thomas, the son of Archibald, was the oldest of this, these four boys born to Archibald Campbell. Uh, Thomas was born in 1763. He was born in Ireland. He was a highly intelligent and a determined man and uh, he wanted to be a teacher. And he did that for a period of time. He taught in different places. He taught in uh, the south, uh, southern Ireland for a period of time until his father called him home. Of course, it was a different time then. If you're, uh, even if at the age of majority, if you left your father's home and you were doing something and your father called you back, what'd you do? You went back. Because he wouldn't have called you back unless it was important, right? And so, 
Uh, his father didn't want him to be down in uh, uh, southern Ireland for whatever reason, so he called him home, and I'm sure it had something to do with helping out on the family estate or whatever the case may be. But he called him home, and he taught in that area of Ireland back in the north for a period of time. <clears throat> and uh, uh, so as he taught and worked his secular job, something very common for the time happened. Throughout his daily life, at some point, he came to be under the impression that he had had an experience, like most people claimed to have at that time, where God was calling him to preach. Now, let's kind of look at the characteristics of of Thomas Campbell. Thomas Campbell was a teacher. He loved to teach. So is it out of the ordinary to believe that a man who loves to teach, when he becomes very interested in any subject, that he might want to teach that subject? I don't think that's out of the ordinary. Uh, and so having that, uh, that distinct characteristic, he was a, was a teacher, and then he became very interested in religion, and he had this experience, quote, experience, and so he decided he wanted to be a preacher. Now, let's kind of look at his religious background a little bit. Not only was he of this seceder Presbyterian church, he was an anti-burger. Well, what in the world does that mean? I've never been anti-burger in my life. Man, the more the better as far as I'm concerned. But, of course, this is something else. The anti-burgers were a group of the seceders. We'll get into a little more detail just simply because it, it gives us a little insight into the thinking of Thomas Campbell a little later on. <clears throat> but the anti-burgers were a group of seceders who opposed the burger oath. B-U-R-G-H-E-R. Uh, and the Church of Scotland split and uh there's, they had an they had a split that they called the Associate Presbytery, which was formed in 1747 over this requirement to take the Burger Oath. Now let's, let's kind of talk a little bit about what that is, so we'll understand what they're talking about. The Burger Oath required holders of public office to affirm the approval of the religion. Presently, at that time, professed in the kingdom. So now we're kind of going back to this idea of a state religion. Okay. Now, the issue was uh, civil compulsion in areas of religion. Well, that's very understandable that people are going to buck up against that. We've already talked about that, and that's what the Catholic Church did. They wanted to make you be a Catholic. You go to... Uh, uh, nations in the world today, you go over to Syria, you go to uh, Iran, you go to some of these uh, uh, radical governments that really have theocracies instead of governments, or it's a the- theocratical form of government. What do you? What had you better be in Syria and Iran? You better be a Muslim, right? And so that is civil compulsory to be, nothing civil about it, but you are compulsed to be of a certain religion. 
So that's what this burger oath was. You had to take an oath and support the uh, the present religion of the area. And so uh, this is the forerunner, or was the forerunner, of the later argument of separation of church and state. Okay? Of course, uh, uh, the, the true definition of the... Uh, Separation of church and state can be seen in what's going on right here. The separation of church and state really has nothing to do with religion in itself other than the state cannot compel you to be of a certain religion. We can't in the United States say, okay, uh, the Catholic church is going to be the state religion. The Baptist church or the Methodist church, church of Christ is going to be the state religion. That's not, that's not possible and it shouldn't be possible. In, in any place, right? That's what the true meaning of church, uh, separation of church and state is. Not that you can't be religious. Not that you can't say a prayer prior to uh, uh, opening a session of Congress. But you cannot compel someone to be of a particular uh, branch or organization of religion. So, those people who oppose that, they became known as anti-burgers. So, Thomas... Campbell was a seceder that was a split off of the Presbyterian Church. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But he was also an anti-burger. So at any rate, at that time, through the help of John Kenley, Campbell began to attend Glasgow University. And he did that for three years. He finished the prescribed courses, and then he went to Whitburn where he studied under a man by the name of A.B. Bruce in the anti-Burger school uh, of thought. Okay, So he had these Presbyterian leanings, which of course Calvinistic uh, in, in foundation and basis, and he was of the mindset of this uh, anti-Burger uh, school of thought where you can't compel someone to believe a certain thing. And of course after having finished school, Thomas uh, was licensed to preach by the synod in his area, and his first preaching was done in a place called Sheepbridge, Ireland, wherever that is. I didn't check my geography. It's in Northern Ireland somewhere if it still exists. But ultimately, he moved to a community called Rich Hill, and it was at Rich Hill where Alexander Campbell was born. Now... When we think of the Restoration Movement, we think of Alexander Campbell for the most part. I think most people do. He's more prominent. But I don't think that we can uh, uh, fully understand the greatness of Alexander Campbell until we understand the influence that his parents had upon him. I think that his greatness was a result in no small way of the godliness of his father and the house in which he grew up. His father, Thomas, was a severe critic. Okay, now let's think, of, let's consider that for a moment. What do we normally think of when we think of someone who's a critic or someone who criticizes? We normally think of it in the negative, right? But is it always negative? Criticism in and of itself is not negative or positive. It is simply relaying facts about a particular thing, right? 
if uh, uh, if we get up and we speak, and I did this when I was in school, we would uh, uh, we would speak, we would do a devotional, we would uh, deliver a sermon, and one of the uh, instructors would critique what we did. Critique comes from this idea of criticism or critic, right? And so what happens when someone critiques you? Well, you say, uh, every other word. Or you mispronounced this. Or you uh, misused or had improper subject-verb agreement. But that's not what it's all about, is it? You did very well in this area. Or this was good. Continue to do it that way. So criticism was is something that is very needed in life. Can we learn something in our everyday lives unless we are critiqued? You know, we're, we're training to do something. We need to be critiqued, right? And so when we think of Thomas Campbell and we, we think of him as a severe critic, let's not consider that to be something that's 100% negative all the time. He wanted to critique his children so that they would be the best they could be in life. Now, you can do that one of two ways. You can do that in such a way as the child wants to be better and grow and do well, or you can beat a child down with that and they'll never be anything, right? So when we consider criticism, uh, let's uh, uh, consider it in the way that we ought to. It's just like criticism of the Bible. You have higher criticism, you have low criticism, right? Well, not all criticism is bad. Criticism is determining what things are right and what things are incorrect, right? When we uh, uh, consider the canon of the Bible, what books belong in the Bible? Okay, uh, does the uh, the Gospel of Judas belong in the Bible? Well, no. Why? Why do we know that? Because it's been criticized. It's been criticized, and we've looked at the uh, the authorship. We've looked at the date. We've looked at the content contents and. And we've compared it to this and to that. And so uh, it has been come to the understanding the gospel of Judas is in fact a fraud. Okay? And so uh, among many other the apocryphal, bo- apocryphal books. But anyway, Thomas was a severe critic. Now, at the same time, and this helps us to describe what severe critic means, he was a very kind disciplinarian. Okay? He wasn't mean. He wasn't tyrannical. He wanted to uh, build his children up in such a way that they would do well in life. Okay? And he was a devoted scholar, Thomas was. And uh, at an early age, his uh, uh, he filled Alexander's mind with a love for literature. Okay? A large selection of literature. He was very familiar with with uh, all types of uh, uh, literary genre. And uh, as he trained Alexander to embrace having a love of, of words and writings, he, uh, uh, Alexander, because of this influence of Thomas, he memorized extensively uh, many choice items in both literature and scripture. So we see in the upbringing of Thomas it was a balanced life. Do we need as Christians, do we need to have other interests in life? Do we need to have other knowledge in life outside of the scripture? 
Well, if we're going to be able to uh, uh, live in this world and make a living, we better, haven't we? We better. I worked for, for 20 years in a body shop. Didn't have anything to do with uh, what the Bible says. Other than my daily actions interacting with people, right? Living like a Christian ought to live. Uh, Clay worked at cement plant. Didn't have a thing in the world to do with what the Bible taught other than the way he lived his life. Uh, you know, Ron worked for, uh, how long were you at Blue Cross? 44 years. Uh, other than the way he lived his life and the way he interacted with people. Doesn't mean we don't talk about religion. But that had nothing to do with what the Bible said other than the way he lived his life and interacted with people. So what Thomas taught Alexander was have a varied interest. Be able to have a rounded knowledge. And how does that help us in our interactions with people? You have to be able to relate to people. What if, what if you befriend someone or you meet someone who is an avowed atheist? Okay? Uh, and all you know how to talk about is what the, the Bible. Are they interested? Look, they're not interested. So how can I reach them? Well, I better have some other kind of interaction where I can make some kind of a, a, a connection to that person befriend them in some way, let them know that that I care about them, and then over time, I might be able, because of the relationship I built, be able to talk to them, talk to them about spiritual things. And, <coughs> excuse me, it has been, uh, I've kind of come to the understanding over the past several years, and we've done this here, we, we've door knocked, okay? We've door knocked at least 1,500 doors in the area close to right around this building, okay? To me, that's not the most effective way to evangelize. We've got to do something else. We've got to do something else. And, uh, you know, we always got to be thinking of what that is. But what I have relied on for years is connecting with people, <clears throat> making, uh, meeting people, building a relationship with people. And this may take a period of time. And then at some point in that process, you're able to sit down with them and speak to them about the most important things of life. But first you have to be able to build that relationship, right? If uh, if you were in school and you walked into uh, uh, the chemistry lab or the chemistry uh, uh, lecture hall, and the very first thing that... Uh, the instructor or the professor began to tell you was to inundate you with how to go about performing differential equations. You know, you're going to last about 30 seconds. You're going to say, look, it's not for me. Well, first of all, you have to know what the units of measurement are, right? When you're doing a differential equation. You're going from grams to, to liters. You're going from this to that or whatever. If you start at the most important, difficult thing, I don't know that any anyone is going to excel greatly in that environment, right? Uh, so you have to kind of start from the bottom up. You have to build that relationship. You have to learn the, the things that are, are uh, elementary, and then it builds you and puts you in a position to be able to do greater things, right? And so when we look at the life of Thomas Campbell, the way he reared Alexander, we see that he instilled in him uh, uh, a love for knowledge in general, wanting to learn things. And so he learned things. And uh, he learned literature. He learned scripture. 
And it was a rule in the Campbell household, and I think this is just wonderful, that during the day at some point you needed to memorize a verse of Scripture. And then, and here's key, when they had the evening worship, then you would recite that. So there's a couple things going on there that I think are amazing. Number one, what did the family do in the evening? They had a, a period of devotion where they studied and they prayed. I think, uh, uh, best I remember, <clears throat> I didn't, uh, it's been a while since I looked into this uh, aspect, but they, they uh, sang hymns and they, and they worshiped God. And then they gave an opportunity for for the individual to recite the passage that they had uh, 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 memorized during that day. Now, <clears throat> I don't remember who this was, but during my study, initial study of the Restoration Movement, we came across somebody, and I think he was more of a modern uh, preacher, who uh, required when they sat down to supper, you didn't eat supper until you quoted a scripture you had memorized that day. Now someone said, well that's kind of tyrannical. But do you know what the father required of himself? Not only did the, the children have to recite that, he had to recite the father the verse before it and the verse after it. So that's a wonderful example, isn't it? So he wasn't being tyrannical. He was looking out for the spiritual well-being of his children. I don't recall who that individual was. Maybe I will at some point. But anyway, that's kind of what's going on in the, in the Campbell household. Uh, and each child had to do that. And so, over time, in the Campbell household, the Bible was studied. Now here's something else. Along with Brown's catechism. Okay? So, we studied the Bible, but we also had to study the Presbyterian catechism. And uh, also, uh, uh, Alexander, under tutelage of his father, memorized passages in Greek. Roman, French, and English literature. And in later years, people marveled at the, at the knowledge that Campbell possessed. Now, here is where this rounded uh, knowledge helps you in the religious realm. When Alexander Campbell met someone, he could talk to, to almost anybody on whatever level they were where they were, Right? And again, I always go back to what Paul said, I'm all things to all men. Paul was a highly educated man, okay? He would have had the equivalent of several doctorate degrees in our time, but he was also a tent maker. He knew what it was, what it meant to work with your hands and to labor hard and to, to work out a living. At the same time, he was highly educated. So he could talk to the common person, he could talk to someone who had gone on and had extended their education. He could talk to people who didn't have an education. Okay? Is that important in life? Well, if we're gonna, if we're gonna make a connection with someone, I think that's extremely important. And that is one of the things we learn when we consider the lives of these people, uh, during the restoration period. Now, <clears throat> Tolbert Fanning said of, of Alexander Campbell, uh, and he wrote this in uh, 1806 in the Gospel Advocate. <clears throat> he said, Hence, we never saw a man so perfectly familiar with the most important events recorded in the sacred oracles, particularly the Old Testament, 
and also in Greek, Roman, and English history. Singular as it may appear, Alexander Campbell could recite and fully appreciate more in the English poets, especially Milton, Shakespeare, Thompson, and Young, than anyone with whom we have had the satisfaction of associating. And I think that, you know, that's, that's quite a compliment. It's quite a compliment. And if you've noticed, the, the things that people have stated about Alexander Campbell, <coughs> all of them are along the lines of, it was a pleasure to know this man. It was an honor to know him. The great respect that people had for him and that he had for other people. Where did he learn that? Well, obviously he learned a great portion of that from his father, from his upbringing. And so that tells us in itself how important it is when we consider the influence that we have on other people, right? Do we influence someone other than, say, our children? Well, of course we do. Of course we do. We influence great people. Uh, he influenced Tolbert family. He influenced General Robert E. Lee. He wasn't related to any of those men, right? But they all said it was a pleasure to know this man. And that gave him an opening to be able to talk about the most important things in life. And that's what he did. And he talked about and spread the gospel and helped to restore the New Testament church. And I think, you know, we must never overlook the great efforts of these men. We don't idolize them. But I think we give honor to whom honor is due, right? And we recognize the, the sacrifices and the, the things that happened in the lives of these men. And they gave up a whole lot of things as far as uh, materially. And we'll notice Thomas gave up a lot of things. He could have been a very wealthy man, but he chose not for a very valuable reason. Any comments, questions so far? All right, just a few minutes <coughs> we have. Let's talk a little bit about Campbell's religious background because it's very interesting. It's very interesting and it's important for us to understand at least something about it because that tells us how he came to believe and to understand the things that he believed and understood and how he came to that position in life. Uh, his father, Thomas, had a high regard for the Bible. And that truth had a huge impact on his son, Alexander. Now, uh, if someone grows up in a household, <clears throat> God is never mentioned, the Bible is never read, does that have an impact on that person? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot, of the, the, a lot of the people in the prisons in the United States today grew up in a household like that. And I'm not saying that's, that's why they went to prison or that's why they did what they did, but it, it didn't help prevent them from doing that, did it? I grew up in a home where we didn't talk about God. We didn't read the Bible. We weren't anything. Now later on that changed, okay? Uh, but prior to that, we just weren't anything. We didn't go to prison. But that didn't help prevent us from going to prison. Okay, there's some other things involved in that with uh, uh, my siblings. But at any rate, uh, when Alexander Campbell would enter his father's study, he would go in and he would notice 
what, Alec, what Thomas was using as tools to study was simply the Bible and a concordance. Now that doesn't mean that's all he had in his library. In fact, he had a well-stocked library, but they remained, those books remained untouched. Because at this point in, in Thomas's life, he began to uh, move further and further away from the doctrines of men and closer and closer to what the Bible said. And that can be seen in his great love and respect for the Bible. And uh, he, you know, he began to rely upon what God's written word said, not what Brown's catechism said or anyone else's. Uh, articles of confession or whatever it might be. Now, the church to which Campbell belonged, as we mentioned before, was the Seceder Church, okay, of the uh, branch of the Presbyterian Church. Now, I guess we better just stop here because this is interesting. It might take us just a few minutes, but we're going to pick up here next time and we're going to talk about the influence that the Seceder or the Presbyterian Church in general had on Thomas Campbell's Thinking, which made an impression on Alexander, uh, Alexander's thinking. And it's a very interesting uh, uh, point that we'll pick up next time. Any comments before we end? All right. Thank you so much.